In this episode, my guest is Caroline McKenna. We talk about the marketing lessons financial services companies can learn from the non-profit sector. Welcome to episode 126 of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. This is the podcast for ideas and inspiration on marketing your business and growing your business and for discussing topics on all things finance. And now, here's your host, Roger Edwards. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Thanks, as always, for downloading or streaming the show. I know there are loads of podcasts out there you could be listening to, so I really do appreciate the time you take to listen to this one. I'm really excited about this week's chat with Caroline McKenna, because over the last few years, I've been doing some work with non-profits, helping them with their marketing strategy. So it was great to tap into Caroline's knowledge of the sector and get her insights and see what small businesses in general and financial services firms in particular can learn from how non-profits do their marketing. We chat about the differences between the non-profit sector and commercial organisations, learning from the personal, almost intimate feel of a charitable enterprise, how the ice bucket water challenge defines a topical grassroots approach to marketing and highlights the human touch, and the Seven Families campaign and how it points the way to engaging marketing in the financial services sector. Caroline is the founder of Social Good HQ, which is an online learning academy for non-profit organisations, and she's also a manager at the Dundee International Women's Centre. Her background is running and managing a wide range of businesses from corporates, SMEs and non-profit organisations, and it's allowed her to connect with some amazing people and deliver results. She specialises in working with non-profit trustees, leading the development of company strategy in addition to overseeing the implementation of company long and short-term plans. So let's get straight into that interview with Caroline right here on the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Caroline McKenna, welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Thanks, Roger. Thanks for having me. Thanks for inviting me. No problem. Caroline, tell me, where are we Skyping each other from today? Well, I am in Bonnie Dundee, which has um, several different weather threads coming through for between snow, wind and sun. What about you? Well, I'm in Edinburgh as always, and it's not actually too bad today. The sky is relatively clear. It is blowing a bit of a of a, of a gale, but uh, it feels as if summer might not be too far away, to be honest. Caroline, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Now, we've known each other for about a year and a bit, and we do have a connection in our business activities. Well, actually, we have a couple of connections. First of all, we're both members of the content Marketing Academy. But the reason I asked you to come on the podcast was the other thing that links us together in that we both work or have worked for the charitable sector, working with charities and helping them to develop their businesses and to develop their business strategies. And I think that there's quite a lot that the financial services industry and other small businesses can learn from some of the challenges that charities face, because of course, they're a completely different business model and they often have to be extremely efficient and extremely clever with how they market their businesses. But before we get into that, Caroline, 
why not tell everyone who's listening to the Marketing Finance Podcast a little bit about yourself, where you came from, where you're going, what your ambitions are, and basically what makes Caroline McKenna tick? Oh, well, yeah. So I um, I work in the non-profit sector. I run an organisation called Social Good HQ, which is a member organisation for social enterprises and charities. And I support them with um, anything from finding funding to supporting them to run effective board meetings. So really anything that will help those charities who are social enterprises who are starting building or growing their organization. Um, I absolutely love it, Roger. It's like it just gives me huge personal satisfaction because, you know, it's really the charities and social enterprises that are starting up nowadays, they're just so innovative and just really different from perhaps the way the charitable sector started all these years ago. But I absolutely love it. It's brilliant. And I get to work with a really diverse group of people. Um, and I also, I also, for my sins, um, work with a number of charities on a consultancy basis and um, workshops. And I am a trustee, charity trustee myself. I'm a director on the Dundee Social Enterprise Network and also um, another charity called Bumbershoot. So all very much in that sector. But I do have a corporate background. So it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a turnaround for me to move into the non-profit area. And I think that might be something that would be quite interesting just for a minute because, as you say, there's going to be a lot of differences between the way charitable organisations work and the business models that they operate and what I would call big corporate. And, of course, my back's big corporate other companies as well. What would you say the main differences are that you from the transition from corporate to charitable? Well, I think, you know, like any big organisation, I suppose, but decisions take so long, Roger, mm-hmm. in the big corporates. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I've worked in a number of financial services um, sectors and organisations and trying to get a decision made can take anything from, you know, three to six months. Whereas in the smaller organisations, you just, you know, you have a decision that needs made and you start making that decision. Or it's almost like you, you can test things a lot quicker as well. Um, so, you know, if you want to test a project, you go, you look for funding, you pilot that project. So and then you, you know, you learn from that and you move quite quickly. So I think that's some of the differences. I mean, I think in the charity sector, they've got to be really clever with the resources. Um, funding is not easy at all. Um, so that's really, really difficult. But there's lots of things and tools out there now that you can use to make that easier. Um, but I suppose that's the biggest difference. I think... Um, it feels so much more personal in this sector. And because it's all about humans, unless, of course, you're you're working for an animal charity. <laughs> but it's, it's all about things that you love, right? So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's that connection. Um, so I think it just makes it, it's just a real feel-good factor. And there's definitely something about having fulfillment in your life in addition to the financial benefits that life brings, I suppose. Yeah, I, I've worked for a couple of charities through an organisation called Pilot Light, which I'm a member of. And the first charity I worked for was was a company called Home Start. They're an Edinburgh-based charity, and their main aim is to help single mothers. And 
it was a remarkable organization because actually there was only about four people who worked for them. And, and the lady who was effectively the managing director pretty much did everything. She did the marketing, she did the strategy, she did the, the day-to-day admin. And then she had about three people who used to do maybe one or two days a week supporting her and actually getting out and meeting the single mothers. And the second company that I, I was involved with was actually, a, was actually a swimming pool. It was a swimming pool called Macpool, Mid-Argyle Community Pool. And that was out in Loch Gilped, which is about a thousand miles west of Glasgow. Um, but similarly, it was a very small, intimate organization. Again, I think there was only about 14 people working for them. And you do notice that difference between, you know, a company that employs thousands of people and is very bureaucratic and is very plodding. And as you say, can sometimes take months to make decisions to a small organization like this who are effectively working sometimes part time and they're very fleet of foot, very nimble, and they can make decisions really quickly. I guess the difference is that they aren't exactly rolling in money, which is what some of the larger companies have got probably money that they can invest into strategic development and they can invest into marketing, whereas smaller charities and the, and the, uh, the comparison with smaller businesses is that they are strapped for cash and have to be a lot more efficient and a lot cleverer with what they do. Is, is, is that fair? Absolutely. And, you know, I think it's one of the things that you've talked about there. It's so important to me that organisations are, are corporates learn from charities there's a lot of talk about charitable organizations learning from corporates and there's not much about it the other way around but Mm. i think it's a really mutually beneficial conversation around the fact that you just described that managing director who did everything you know Mm. they're really got to be multi-skilled and they've really got to be clever about how they manage the resources so I always talk to charitable organizations about volunteers Mm -hmm. and the importance of having volunteers to booster or bolster your um your amount of resources that you can work with and volunteers are absolutely critical lifeline in the whole of the UK um, and I'm sure across the world to make charitable organisations achieve their goals really. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And again I think the other thing that I noticed when I was doing these jobs with these charities it's it's like you said Pilot Light put me and a couple of other people into those organisations to bring our corporate knowledge into those organisations but I did find that when we were sat in those meetings I was learning just as much from them and and I guess a lot of it was the was that personal touch you know they're they're really at the coalface they're they're talking to people who are coming into the shop off the street or coming into the swimming pool off the street and they really know their clients intimately you know by name and they're going around to have coffees with them and that sort of thing whereas again in a, in a lot of big corporates you tend to forget that customers are real people. They tend to be policy numbers or or case files or whatever it might be. And and sometimes I think it's nice to have that bit of a wake-up call, isn't it, that you actually are dealing with real people and they've got lives and they've got problems and they've got issues and they've got ambitions. And I really enjoyed that, seeing that. And, and, and I always say to Pilot, like, you know, you asked me to give me their experience and I'm absolutely delighted that, what I got out of it was a load of different experiences in return. Yeah, I just think it's so important, Roger. I'm just hugely passionate that, you know, that, you know, it's not it's not like charities are doing everything right. It's not like corporates are doing everything right. But there's so much learning. And as you say, the um, 
you know, tariff organisations are right next to their customer, so they should be able to have those conversations more easily. You know, they're there with their service users, they're there with their volunteers. They should be able to have those conversations more easily. But I suppose like anything, the bigger the charitable organisation becomes, the, the further removed you can be from that process, you know. Um, but I do, I do think, you know, especially with the media scrutiny, um, and I'm sure financial services, uh, you know, have been through this as well. But the media scrutiny on charities is is probably at its highest level ever. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there has to be so much thought put into any kind of marketing campaign or fundraising strategy. You know, there's new rules around this. You've got to make sure you understand those rules. There's new rules around governance and so on. So, it's um, it's pretty tough, and uh, there's a lot to learn. It's no, it's not easy, but there's some people that do it really, really well with very little resources there to draw upon. And that's where I'd like to focus a little bit more of our attention, Caroline, because this fascinates me. A lot of the people that listen to the podcast are obviously financial services product providers, and on the whole, they've got money to spend on marketing, and, and they do it reasonably well. But a lot of the people who listen to the podcast are also small to medium-sized businesses. They may be financial advisors, it could be accountants, they could be solicitors, and they haven't got massive budgets to market their businesses to their customers. And I'm fascinated to see what we can learn from how the charities market themselves to their clients and see if there's anything that normal, is that the right word? Normal small to medium-sized businesses can learn from some of the strategies that charities put in place. Yeah, I mean, it's it's probably a good idea to start with a couple of examples. So um, if you think, there's one called Rethink, which the hashtag was hashtag find Mike campaign. And it was about reuniting a guy called Johnny Benjamin who lives with schizophrenia with the man who talked him down from jumping off Waterloo Bridge. Okay. Um, so this charity devised a multi kind of channel campaign that was social media, they did videos, they did interviews, they got in the newspaper and hashtag find Mike became the kind of new trending topic on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, and they eventually managed to bring these two together and share their stories so at the heart of that is a story about human connection Mm -hmm. um you know pencils of promise is one i talk about all the time and um it's it's a really important one because um they talk about you know the fact that uh, children want to be educated and so the promise of a pencil is all they need it's just really simple but when you watch a video that connects a child with a pencil then you see them going through the video journey so when you connect a child with a pencil and then the next step is they get schooling and then the next step is they get education into a job that's a really powerful human connection message Mm -hmm. Um, there was another one done recently, uh, hashtag the no makeup selfie campaign. Right. And actually, it was cancer research that picked up on this, but it wasn't actually their campaign. It started with lots of women posting images of themselves without any makeup on on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually got involved in that. The picture is very scary, so we won't share that one. <laughs> um, but there's this cancer research social media team really quickly got involved and asked people to donate via text. And the campaign really is something like eight to ten million in mm-hmm. one week. Um, and it's that sort of grassroots campaign that when you don't have much money to spend yourself, if you see something that's happening in the media or the news, you know, jump on the back of that. Don't worry about stealing someone's idea. It's like you're not taking it and making it 
yours, you're taking it and and building it up to support your audience. So I suppose those are a few examples where I would suggest, you know, that looking at what other people are doing, looking at what's news newsworthy at that time and being able to respond to that fairly quickly is definitely worthwhile doing and creating any campaign. I mean, you remember the the bucket challenge for mm-hmm. ALS. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's actually a video about the guys um, who created that campaign. They had no idea, absolutely no idea this was going to go viral. They just got a few people in a room and said, what can we do that's a bit of fun that we can get people involved in to raise some money? And then that went viral on social media because, um, and I can't remember who it was, but one of the celebrities picked it up. And that's how that got out. So you just never know what it is that's going to stick and become viral. And I don't think you should ever start a project or a campaign saying, right, we want this to go viral. But there's definitely something common in things that work really well. And it's that human connection. How can you connect what you do with the people, you know? Yeah, I think that the bucket of water over the head example is such a good one to think about, isn't it? Because I, I actually, until you just said that there, I, I hadn't really realised how it had come about. And you can just imagine the conversation perhaps in a in a bigger marketing department of a big company with a massive budget. If somebody came up with an idea, hey, why don't we all stand outside in the car park and tip a bucket of water over our heads? They'd probably be fired. Uh, they say, oh, no, 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 we'll go and spend £2 million on an advert with lots of pictures of palm trees and, and, and older people, you know, going off on a cruise ship into their retirement. And in reality, as you say, it, they didn't plan for that to go viral. But the fact that it was fun, the fact it was different, it grabbed people's attention and it just made people want to get involved. And, and that was the human touch. And, you know, those sort of ideas are, are just priceless. And, and maybe sometimes we just have to put ourselves into that environment and say, OK, let's forget our, all of our compliance constraints. Let for, let's forget our brand guidelines and, and let's just have some fun and see what comes out of it. And then we can worry about all the bureaucracy later. Absolutely. And I think that's, you know, and, and I speak to a lot of people who say, oh, I'm not creative. I don't think like that. I, that campaign's amazing or whatever. But it really is just about thinking about the human stuff. So I think it's Heineken. I don't know if you've seen it. It's out this week, actually, have done this advert where they put two people with opposing views together in a room mm-hmm. and they get them to build furniture together. And so they'll start chatting and they get to know one another. And then they get them to sit down and talk about their family and things like that. And then they build a bar, they grab a Heineken, they sit on the bar and they put up this video. And one person, one guy in particular, was talking about the fact that he did not understand transgender and he could never be friends with someone who was transgender and of course the the woman sitting opposite him was transgender so they kind of looked at each other and um, they really it was just a brilliant human advert about how people with opposing views um, have commonality and how they could really um, you know find a connection and be friends and they sat and had a Heineken and they chatted and you know it was that sort of thing will they stay once they know what each other's opposing views one there was there was one who was um who loved uh, climate change and was you know talking about that and someone else who didn't believe it existed and you had those together so but just little things like that you know um talking to your customers getting your customers involved and I think there's this myth that it has to be videos with really professional lighting it really doesn't the best stuff is is the authentic 
stuff that's almost like it's just happened with no thought behind it. You know, grab a phone, take a video. It's that sort of stuff, isn't it? I absolutely agree with you. I, I'm so glad you said that because, again, it's not it's not just a, a, a symptom of the financial services industry. A lot of big companies fall into this trap of thinking that it isn't professional if you use a phone or if you use a, let's put it in inverted commas, a cheap camera to grab a shot. They seem to think that it has to be a big BBC production with lighting rigs and, you know, those great big circular silver things to bounce the light around. And the most professional, most expensive video can come across as stilted and unfriendly mm-hmm. and lacking charm and lacking humour. And that's not going to engage your customer. It's not going to make them want to do business with you. Whereas somebody on an iPhone running down a street talking to a customer might just be the thing that does grab somebody's attention, that does engage with them. And I think it's a massively important lesson that anybody in any industry needs to learn is that in this day and age, everybody is taking video, everybody is taking photographs, and there doesn't need to be this BBC level of production to everything. And I think if you can get that mindset, you can start to be so much more creative and probably so much more relaxed as well about what you're doing. And you're not constantly thinking, is this professional enough? Is this high quality enough? Just make it engaging and give it that human touch, as you've said, Caroline. I think yeah. that is the key I thing. I think there's, there's, well, there's a lot of fear about, you know, we need to create a, a marketing, a robust marketing and communication strategy or plan. In fact, you you blogged about this recently, Roger, and I, mm. it just came at a really good time for me because I had so many of my members talking about, I need, can you give me a template for a marketing strategy? I need a communications plan. I'm like, you know, that's fine. And yes, of course, we need to, we need to share a marketing strategy with our board or you know whatever it might be Uh and that's all fine but the reality is if you could create the most fantastic marketing strategy but who's going to execute that what's you know the reality is if you've got five people in your organization who is actually going to be able to do that consistently Um, and so I think it's just trying not to be all things to all people so don't be on snapchat um facebook you know twitter what is their Instagram, whatever they all are, you know, don't be on all of those. Choose one and do one really, really well. Mm. And then once you've mastered that, then you can branch out a little bit. There's a difference between like the Cadbury egg campaign where they've dropped three massive Easter eggs into the Loch Ness as part of their eggs everywhere campaign than, I mean, they spent millions. I mean, it'll be like six or seven million, I think I read that they spent on it. Um, And, you know, it's, you know, you can't, no one, we can't do that. You know, we are small. Charities can't be seen to be doing that. And actually, even if charities did have the money, what would people be saying about how they were spending that money if they did do that on a campaign, you know? And that's where the the really basic level stuff where you're interacting with one another and particularly for charitable organisations where they've got those stories, Mm. right? So real life stories of people who've been through hardship in whatever form that may take and how the charities help them come through that. So I suppose it's back to your case studies, but bringing those to life for people, you know? Um, And I think that's where maybe small businesses could benefit too. I think from my point of view, um, two things that came into my mind when you were saying that then. The first thing is, and I I bang this drum quite a lot when I talk to people about strategy and I included it in that blog that you referred to before. The simplest way to come up with a really good strategy, almost without using all the complex 
words like strategy in the first place is to answer the three questions that I always bang on about. And that is, who is your customer? What's their problem? And how do you solve their problem better than anybody else? And I guess that a charity is really quite good at doing that because they will be focused on a very narrow, very laser-focused niche set of people. So in the aforementioned example of Homestart, it was single mothers. Um, the, the swimming pool example is a certain community in a certain part of Scotland. And I guess when you are razor sharp on who your customer is, it gets easier to work out what their problem is and then how to solve that problem. And then all your communications just fall off from that. It becomes easy to come up with your marketing plan. Whereas if you're a bigger company and you may think, well, we want to target everybody in the world or everybody in Edinburgh or everybody in one specific segment, you start to dilute your messages because you're trying to be all things to all men. So I think that we can learn from the razor sharp focus that a lot of charities have. And the second thing you said there, and again, it resonates with me, is that the real life stories of people who faced hardship. One of the most successful campaigns we've seen in the financial services industry over the last few years is one that was being called the Seven Families Campaign. And this comes up on the Marketing Finance Podcast all the time. It was an industry campaign, so it wasn't a specific company that ran it. It was a collection of companies, but they picked on seven families who were facing financial hardship because one of the people in the family had been injured either at work or they were sick and couldn't work. And effectively, the campaign was a video about each of those families and how they faced financial hardship and how an insurance policy help them out of that financial hardship. And the campaign was massively successful because it wasn't a company saying, buy our product, buy our product. It was a showcase of real people facing real hardship and how they overcame that hardship. And again, that's exactly what you've just described there, real people, real stories. And that's in so much more engaging than overtly promotional messages can be. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, So what they've done there is they've picked these families. They've talked about how an insurance um, policy has made a difference for those families. So it's a case study in action, isn't it? Um, And, you know, every business, every organisation has a case study of sorts. They might not have it in the right format, but that's okay. It's like telling that story. So, and you just made me think there's um, some great, another great campaign, and this was years ago, I mean way before... But way before the internet, definitely way before social media, there was something called human chain for charity. Mm-hmm. Basically, a human chain of people all holding hands was created in the US to raise money for hungry and homeless people. And to participate, everyone had to pay $10 for their spot in the line. Mm-hmm. And the buzz surrounding that, now there was no social media on that, was so huge that more than 7 million people across 16 states participated. That's what the article said. I mean, mm-hmm. how do you get that level of, you know, support for, and there was no internet, there was no social media. And it's all about that kind of human touch and that human story and thinking of the home hungry and homeless people. What could we do? Well, actually $10 from X amount of million people is much better than asking one organization to give you funding or whatever it might be, you know? Mm-hmm. What would you say from the companies that you're working with at the moment, Caroline, is the biggest lesson that a non-charitable company can learn from the sort of activities that 
the charities are, are, are going out there with at the moment? The biggest lesson would be making sure that you don't worry, as we've just described, I suppose, a bit of a summary, but don't worry about the tech stuff. Mm -hmm. Just think differently. Think about your clients. Think what's going to connect with people. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you know, the the Movember piece was founded in 2003 to fundraise for men's health uh -huh. through growing a moustache. You know, what's the lesson in that? Well, it was based on humour. Mm -hmm. It was a bit of fun. It was about, you know, some men who didn't really suit moustaches were going to forget <laughs> their van their vanity. Um and it's about, you know, don't don't just think about things that will give you that human connection. Don't worry about it being fancy or flashy. Just tell the story. I think that's the most important lesson. And also, you know, there are people out there I mean, I always talk about volunteers, but, you know, university graduates, interns who are young and, di you know, diverse, bringing people into your organization who can support you at a lower cost, for example, if they're especially if they're just starting out. But um, those who maybe are from a different cultural background, their difference in age from you, that's really important, too, because, you know, getting ideas together um, is you know, you want it to be diverse and you want it to be different and you want people to come up with some different ideas. So I would say to pull in some of that as well. One of the things I used to do um, many years ago was I had an affiliation with the Glasgow School of Art. And every year we used to run a competition for some of the final year students to pitch ideas to the company as if they were a marketing agency. And some, of, some of those ideas, Caroline, were just off the scale brilliant. Now, okay, there was a, sometimes a little bit of naivety because these people hadn't developed any business skills yet. But on the other side of the coin, they hadn't worked for a big corporate that sort of sucked them dry of their creativity. So it was, <laughs> it was lovely to see their ideas. And there was a couple of occasions where I'm sitting here thinking, bloody hell, I'm going to put a patent application in for this, <laughs> you know, because their ideas were so fresh and so, so new. And, 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 and I think you do need to get that experience in. You know, as well, Roger, we're part of the Content Marketing Academy. And, you know, to create consistent content um, is another uh, sort of low-cost way of getting the message out there. And I think the key is about consistency. Um, you know, you don't have to be a fantastic writer. You just need to be able to tell the story. Mm. Um, so I think that's that's something else that charities are really picking up on um, and really, you know, really doing quite well. So I think the lessons from our conversation today, Caroline, are definitely the human touch, keeping it simple and telling a story, telling a real-life story. I guess those are the marketing messages that we can learn from charities. Definitely, definitely. And so thinking just a little bit wider now and, uh, you know, your daily interaction with the world, I always like to ask my guests to talk about a marketing campaign or, or it could be a product or something that's caught your attention recently. Tell us what it was and what you liked about it. I think for me, the Heineken one just stands out, Roger, because mm -hmm. it's so unusual that you know, if you knew, so suppose it's about if you knew someone's views before you met them, you automatically make an assumptions. But what it what it did was um, break down the barriers, and that's what a lot of charitable organisations are about, right? They just mm. you just break down the barriers for for um, homeless people, for mm. people of diverse ethnic backgrounds, you know, um, people trying to look for employment. It's about breaking down those barriers and taking away some stigma. 
Um, and they all they did that all over a beer. So for me, that's my that's been my favourite one. And I know I've mentioned it before, but um, it's just it's just so powerful. It's so so powerful. Caroline, tell me about a business book you've read recently. What was it you liked about it and what did you take from it? I, I read lots of books. My bookshelf is getting out of control. I think my husband could, divorce could be on the car <laughs> if I buy, purchase another book. Because I'm what I tend to do is purchase a book, get really excited about it, read half halfway through and then put it on the shelf and pick up another one. Um, so the one that I've read most recently uh, is The Ask You Answer by Marcus Sheridan mm-hmm. and um, for me, particularly for the the um, social enterprises and charities that I support, it's about making sure that you're answering the questions of the people who attend your service, that you're answering the questions about funders, and so that's really important for me. So I I just love the book. I think it was um, I think in the kind of content marketing space, it's a good one to get behind. Um, and I'll. I'll Pinch another one, which is known by Mark Schaefer. Mm. Um, really, really good read. And I think it's such a good read because uh, he writes in a really down to earth way. So it's not, you can't, you don't pick up this book and think, I have no idea what you're talking about. It's really, really easily understandable. And, um, and it's a great way to understand about how to get known in your industry and how to stand out. So I think particularly for financial services and charities, you know, it's really hard to stand out these days. Um, you know, everyone thinks that they're um, a journalist now, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's really difficult. So I think known was another good one for me. I'll include links to both those books in the show notes for this podcast. So Caroline, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today on the podcast lots of great ideas and I knew that there would be lots of great ideas from the charitable sector and they resonate with me so much because I'm so obsessed with keeping things simple with telling stories and finding that human touch that human connection so tell me what's the best way that people listening to the podcast should get in touch with you Oh, I'd love, yeah, I'd love to to catch up with anyone who wants to chat more about sort of marketing strategies on a budget, I suppose. Um, so, Social Good HQ uh, on Twitter, and it's just Caroline at socialgoodhq.com. Fantastic. Caroline, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. It's been a pleasure to talk to you, and no doubt we'll bump into each other in Edinburgh, possibly in the Apple Store, again very soon. <laughs> thanks, Roger. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF for links to the topics, apps and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. If you are a business person, financial services professional or journalist and have a marketing or finance story to tell, please get in touch. You could be the next guest on the show. And do remember, nothing we talk about on the show is financial advice of any kind. It's just thoughts and opinions, okay? Okay.